Thanks for tuning in to another THP podcast powered by Dakota Lithium. In this episode, I'm going to be talking with Jake about hunting farm country deer. Hunting in farm country is something that we do a little bit nowadays, but we definitely don't do it as much as we used to when we were younger. And the main reason is is we just don't have as much access to those types of properties as we once did. A lot of farm country is private land, but we've definitely hunted public land areas that have a lot of farm country within or surrounding those public lands as well. Some of the things that we pay attention to when hunting farm country though differ from a lot of the other hunts that we're on and a lot of the other strategies that we talk about a lot. So if you're somebody that hunts a lot of farm country, hopefully you can take away some of the things that we've learned by making mistakes over the years. Before we get started, I wanted to remind you guys that we have partnered with the social platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Go Wild is a free social community where not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged. Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. And as you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. And if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. So while you're on the Go Wild store, which has a bunch of gear that we use, you can use that $10, but you can also save an additional 10% at checkout if you use the code THP. All you got to do to get started is visit downloadgowild.com. Also, I've been shooting my bow a lot, getting excited for archery season. And if you're in the market for a new bow, I would highly suggest checking out beararchery.com. And on their website right now, they have RTHP Adapt as a ready-to-hunt package available on the website. The Adapt may not be for everybody, but I was listening to some folks at the archery range the other day, and they were talking about buying a new bow and upgrading their equipment and how it was going to be over a thousand dollars but the goal that we had with the thp adapt was just to make something affordable for people that wanted to get into archery or wanted to buy a new bow but didn't want to spend a whole bunch of money on it that's kind of the nice thing about the thp adapt is the price point is pretty affordable compared to other new bows that are on the market but even if you're interested in a different bear bow we can help you save an additional 10 percent if you use our code thp10 all right, with that being said, let's talk with Jake about hunting farm country deer. All right, guys, today Jake and I are going to be talking about farm country bucks, and we've got this beautiful farm country setting behind us. Uh-huh. I think the thing about farm country is you could talk about it, you know, in a million different ways just because, like, farm country here is different than farm country where you grew up, mm-hmm. and I'm sure it's a lot of similar stuff, but also different tendencies that they have like i know you guys don't have like the big cattail marshes and stuff like that where you're from Mm -hmm. but you have a lot of stuff that's real similar similar to the upland looking uh farm country around here yeah and i'm sure we'll probably touch on some hill stuff but i think we should kind of talk about flatland farm country because there's so many states that you deal with Mm -hmm. that i mean really most of the midwest is flatter than a lot of places we've ever made videos from Like Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, Wisconsin. Even down to like where Bruce is from in Georgia. Yeah. I mean, you can run into farm country just about anywhere you go, it seems like, and flat country anywhere you go, where it's just pretty limited habitat, especially when all the crops come off. Mm-hmm. And that really throws a loop in things, which we'll talk about, it seems like. But What do you feel like some of the main challenges are, just at least from your experiences in farm country, that maybe are unique to that specific habitat and terrain type i think uh something i messed up a lot especially when crops came off as we were just trying to set up where i kind of cut my uh canines 
uh, hunting farm country, I guess, is like we were parking right where we were set up at, and we were walking across that field right to wherever we were going. And after thinking back and looking back and traveling around a bunch, it's like the deer were just watching us do that for the most part. I mean, we got lucky a couple times, and they must have been bedded somewhere where they couldn't see where we were accessing from. But especially in that flat stuff, they'll get up on the little bit of elevation that there was, especially the bucks. And uh, they're watching us come in, I'm sure, and just either just sitting tight and probably not getting up or just go slipping out the other way. But I think that's a huge deal. Yeah. It, it's it's something that even I, looking at this setting right here, you think about it, why would they bury themselves where they can't see anything? Instead, they would rather, in most situations at least, bed right on the edge of something to where they can see a really long way and especially if there's tendencies of yeah hunters you know if they're parking in a specific spot they'll just keep watching that and it seems like the bucks especially will kind of isolate themselves from got a plane flying over real low <laughs> it's like he hit the gas right when he got past us here <laughs> um but it seems like the bucks specifically too will like isolate themselves from the rest of the deer, especially when it's not during the rut and really at all times of the year, but especially early season, like throughout the summer and early season, it seems like you'll catch them in spots that they shouldn't be, you know, just like a weird fence line or a small little island that's in the middle of a big field, you know, where they don't, they're not in like the, I'm looking at a 15 acre woodlot right there, which is probably where a majority of your deer population is going to be. And they might be in there sometimes, but the places that I've, found them more so and especially killed them is just off away from the rest of the deer and those little drainages maybe that run along a waterway that's not you know 10 yards wide 15 yards wide but there's enough cover especially with there being standing corn on you know both sides of it where they feel comfortable there's not a lot of people going back in there it can't be seen from the road and they have you know all the stuff they need to stand up and browse throughout the day right next to water that's where i feel like i've caught you know, bucks, especially when it's not during the rut, I guess. Yeah, and I think that a challenge can be overcome. It's a challenge that can be overcome, but we always want to hunt in the woods as yeah. deer hunters. And looking back to my days hunting farm country around where I grew up, I'd always want to be in the woods. Mm -hmm. And I completely overlooked so many areas that were these isolated pockets where looking back on it i think a lot of the bucks were using those a lot of times now we still like i mean you really going directly to them from wherever they're bet if they're not bedded in there like that's where they're going to go straight to because that's where probably most of the food is because that and that's where most of the deer are they're going to go there and meet up and communicate with the rest of the deer just check in on you know who's around what's around and you know go to a bulk of where maybe the acorns and stuff is falling but i feel like especially early season they don't like the stress of having a bunch of other deer around like especially a big buck he's maybe going to be just bedded off with a younger buck or if you're lucky maybe there's a couple big bucks running together and then a pesky little year and a half old buck that's just hanging around them just because that's probably a good idea for him i guess but good learning <laughs> oh no our gopro's down <laughs> our, i can't believe our bricks fell dude <laughs> time out it seems like around here the best time to capitalize on that stuff because when crops come out that might, you know maybe they're using a certain spot that you have permission to which was my case a lot it's like they might be there you know until the crops come out and then they're totally they're, around here they're probably going to some wetland stuff mm -hmm. or just like a bigger chunk of timber which i never had permission anything like that it was mostly just fence lines and 
just you know a majority of its field and then maybe you got a waterway that they'll bet in sometimes or they'll bet on the neighbors and you're just hoping to catch them on a good weather day coming over to where you got permission to stuff like that but i feel like timing is also real important for spots like that like you're not you don't want to go in there until you got some sort of intel that's telling you that you should be going in there even if you're getting pictures or shine you know driving around shining at night if they're not there like right after i guess i was i was trying to time it up where you know maybe they're flirting with being there on at during daylight and you know you got a cold front that's kind of pushing in then whatever day makes most sense with that cold front that's when you're kind of trying to strike just because i never really was hunting spots where deer were directly bedded on a place i could hunt for the most part usually you're waiting for them to come across the property line which maybe they were only bedded 100 yards away but unless there's it's real good weather a lot of times the mature buck's not moving further than that it doesn't seem like until the rut's kicking in they're just kind of living their life in you know 200 yard bubble really mm -hmm. it seems like i also think on the note of the isolation thing you you said deer will go to those bigger tracks of timber to communicate meet up with other deer and it can be confusing when you're trying to read sign you get to that big wood lot and yeah, it's blown up with sign. Yeah. But I feel that in a lot of cases, that sign is just being laid down at night. And therefore, yeah. it's easy to get hung up on that timber because, again, you got a place to hang your stand. You've got uh, a lot of times food sources like acorns. And you might even be seeing a lot of other deer yeah, in those places. For sure. I think that's a big hang up is like, well, yeah, I see the most and deer. That's where the term there. He, he's nocturnal come from, comes yeah. from, too. He's, he's not nocturnal, he's just not bedded maybe on the place you can hunt even and then you just got to like i said try to time it out the best you can where maybe he's coming in you know late october i guess it'd be around here he's coming in to check those first couple does but if you're going in there and hunting a bunch those couple does that were in there probably aren't going to be bedding there as consistently either so that's why i think timing is super important and and i guess if you're after an older buck and maybe joe talked with you about this today too you might be just not even hunting a certain spot like zimmy owns a bunch of stuff around here that you know, they own majority of its field, but, you know, you he, he runs a lot of cameras and maybe you got a two-year-old buck that's there a bunch. It's like, he I don't think that's necessarily what he's after. I mean, he'll shoot one if, if that's what presents itself, but I, I think he's generally trying to target a little older buck. But that deer's probably going to be doing something real similar the next year if the crop rotation's the same. So you're kind of keeping tabs on that type of stuff too, like what time frame that buck is utilizing that property. And, you know, maybe when he, he moves through there during daylight, if you're lucky enough for that to happen. But I don't know. It's, 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 I think that's where it's important to have a bunch of different spots you can bounce around to, too, because you don't want to just not be hunting. You yeah. Know? Hold up, hold up, windbreak. It, it, it's really, like, pretty good for the most part, though, because yeah. I got mine cranked so I can hear it. Mm -hmm. And it's, I don't think it's going to be too big of a deal. Help, 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 help. He might bump out behind us here. <laughs> It'd be actually so hilarious. We're sitting here filming this, and all of a sudden you can just see a tom strutting behind us. Can you? Could you see it in that, in it? In that one? You could. Yeah, I guess you could right here, too. I kind of tried to point it the directions he's going to come out when he, <laughs> when he does. For his evening strut. Um, what were you saying? Saying... But I think that's why it's important. I mean, we talk about this all the time, whether you're hunting public or maybe you got permission to farm a bunch of different farmland stuff. Or if you don't, you should try to be getting as much as you can, I'd say, just to 
for one, keep the pressure off of spots. If you can't, you know, the more you can bounce around, the, the less pressure you're, you're going to have to put on certain spots. And uh, you're always just going to have options too. Then, like maybe it'll be three or four years before you know a spot like this will have a buck that you even want to shoot that's living on it. But then all of a sudden, you know, something shows up that you want to shoot, or he just like wasn't there all year, and then you go go out there to check a camera or something like that. You're driving past and you see one out there. It's game on, you know. Yeah, I feel that one of the other challenges of farm country is finding enough places to participate like yeah. when i was a kid it was pretty competitive in that immediate area but then there was a few places where i could go but so could everybody else and i feel that one thing that i regret and just getting more experience hunting um, in different areas when i look back on those days one of the things that i really wish i would have done is just committed a whole bunch of time in the off season to finding as many opportunities to go hunting as I could even if it didn't look that good that good like you said there's certain times of the season or yeah if it's, certain, but if it's within you know a couple hundred yards or even, even a couple miles, miles yeah, yeah. Of something that's good or between two places that are really good I mean if you live in farm country you've probably seen it a buck just tearing off across the middle of the field I mean just put a decoy out and sit and wait I mean that mm-hmm. might be your best option yeah, it, it, I mean, if, if something gets eyes on it while it's out there making a dash like that, obviously he's in some sort of mood looking for something. Mm-hmm. I mean, if as long as the wind's good, I'd say you got a pretty good chance of decoying a buck in later in the year like that. Really any time of year, but that's when it seems like they're really, you're going to catch something doing something real dumb like that. But <laughs> I think one thing that really is unique to the strategy that I used to put into place in farm country was hunting from a distance or not really even hunting yeah more just cruising around watching until i could nail down a pattern because i have a lot of memories and i've told you the story all the time about that one year where everything did fall into place in a place where i could hunt it was actually one of those places where everybody could go there's tons of tree stands in that woods and that particular year there was um, tons of corn left over and deer were coming in from all over the place. There had to have been bucks that were coming in from over five miles. I, I would, there's just no way there's that many deer around all each season. Uh-huh. I mean, the, the carrying capacity is not that large, but at that time. Cause how big, big is the woodlot you're talking about? Would you guess? 30 acres would be the Southern one. And the other one's bigger. It's probably more like a hundred maybe. It's actually a pretty big one for the area, yeah. but the land that I could hunt was not, you know, the whole, it didn't, yeah. they didn't own the whole woodlot, I guess. Yeah. It was a property line through the middle of it. And the deer were there a lot of years and they had kind of their tendencies. They had kind of areas that they would hit on and off. And uh, I feel like that last, or that one season, it was kind of the last season I really ever hunted there was just crazy because everything worked out found that all the deer were coming to there to feed there was nobody hunting there because it was super late season and everybody was just probably burnt out and apparently nobody else was driving around because i don't know how i mean man even if you hadn't bow hunted for weeks months like uh, it would be hard not to pick it up and try it because there were just deer coming from all over one night i witnessed three bucks that i would have shot coming from 
where there's no timber like yeah. there's no timber for multiple miles <laughs> and i think i caught them day of going in there because then i saw them every day that i would see you know that i would cruise around there i saw them every day after that and i just think back to how valuable that time scouting was because and how much uh different i would play it now to like one morning i watched them go into a bedding area and I knew exactly where there was multiple shooter bucks. It was at least two of those three that I saw that morning popping around the edge of that bedding area. I could just glass right into the timber corner where they would bed, which I want to talk about timber corners too or like isolated points or anything like that. But that timber corner was a consistent bedding location. I jumped them out of there. I'd hunted them in there. There were always potential that there was deer there. And <laughs> that night when I went in to hunt, I set up like, way the hell across there i was like 400 yards away from them and it's like why why Uh was i doing that i could have you know as of today i would have spent the entire rest of the day crawling in there but i waited and i played a you know safer move safer but i still actually crawled across that field and i think that kind of plays back into that access thing and i ended up having one of the craziest hunts that i've had in the late season especially in that area hands down the craziest hunt I ever had in that area. I saw that night 50-some deer, and at last light, well, just after end of legal, the bucks came underneath me. But I should I should have just pushed in tighter. But yeah. um, that, that whole glassing from a distance is something that I feel if I could go back or if I was put into a situation where that was my entire season, I would play things so patient. Uh-huh. I would be the guy that wouldn't really even hunt that much i mean hunt i guess yeah. i'd be in the car a lot yeah i'd get done with work an hour before dark cruise to all my spots yeah show up home late after work you know just every day i'd try to do that as as often as i could and then you would probably pick up on patterns just from afar just locating you know certain areas that deer would be feeding in or moving from and i think that that gives you a base to start on and, and uh-huh with so much visibility in a place like flatland farm country you're not necessarily going to nail him down but you might pick up on some things and you might see one you might locate one doing that yeah. and i just feel like that is something that i look back on and thought was fun when i did it I think it's fun when i do it to this day and i would just do like crazy if i had a whole season to hunt farm country yeah. again i think you can definitely get eyes on stuff too especially if you're just thinking a little bit outside the box i mean just getting even you know 50 yards up on a knoll where you you know you can't see the spot from the road but then you just walk up to a little higher spot or something like that like i can think of deer around here that have lived you know under under my nose the whole summer until it's like all right i know they're around here somewhere i haven't seen them in a while like there's a bachelor group of bucks down the road here a couple summers ago it's like i know I've seen them, you know, two or three times from the road, and like they got to be here more consistently than what I'm seeing them. And some he and Zimmy started slipping up uh, one of his fence line. There's just a bunch of mature oaks that are along it, and I guess it was corn on the north side, beans on the south side of that fence line. So you know they got, and then there's a low spot in the bean field, and they're kind of back there in that low spot where you can't see them at all from the road, and where those beans were still low, there was all green still. You know, the whole the whole field was yellow. But that little pocket in the low area, since those big oaks were casting shade over it, stayed real green even into the season. 
but it's like if we if we'd have just been even more lazy than what we had been being i guess it's like we would never know and it's like that's that's not a farm that we ever really deer hunt you know it's just like that year that there was a bachelor groups of buck using it because everything set up right for it and i mean him and my brother hunted up but we were elsewhere you know i was elsewhere hunting but him and my brother hunted them for a couple weeks you know and just kind of picked their way at them and got close a couple times but it's just i guess that's where like uh you know getting permission to a bunch of different spots comes in too it's like like i said that's not a place that consistently has bucks but there was two two bucks that were probably four or five years old down there and living that summer into the season a little bit so a couple other things that came to mind when you were saying that like you talked about the knoll getting up on a knoll being able to glass a little bit more but also take advantage of man-made structures like silos or I mean, we even talked about getting up on a water tower over by your place <laughs> like there's all kinds of stuff that you can do to get yourself elevated and even make an observation sits i mean we're sitting here and i'm looking at a tree right across the road right behind you there where you could climb that tree odds of you actually shooting a deer almost yeah, just none. have a nice big comfy ladder up you know yeah. going up into it where you can get real high but like especially like we're talking about in flat farmland country like that you get 20 30 feet in some of these spots i mean you're gonna be able to see a mile plus mm -hmm. so definitely having good optics too yeah makes a difference like it would probably be worth saving up for a spotter at some point and getting something Absolutely. where you can mount it to your window on your vehicle vortex makes a nice little thing that I, mm -hmm. i've been using a lot and then a tripod also it's like you're going to be able to probably pick out bucks that are bedded down in little pockets when the crops come off that you never see otherwise you know even taking a camera arm or something like some sort of tree arm up into a tree to put your spotter on is yeah. something i've considered doing mm -hmm. i haven't done it yet but i've definitely thought to myself that'd be that's definitely something i'd option. be doing a lot more now than i that i wasn't doing when i was younger just because i i didn't even have a pair of binoculars so like, when we first started hunting together you didn't take binoculars yeah. with you <laughs> just never never even had them uh -huh. so uh I'd definitely be, you know, setting up, like you're saying, not even, I mean, I'd have my bow with me or I might just be in the vehicle, but I'd be look glassing a certain, a specific spot where preseason scouting had been, had told me that a buck bed's here sometimes, you know, just trying to catch them in there. And then, I mean, you don't even have to set foot in there. You don't need a camera, nothing. You can just be glassing the bed or the small pocket that they're bedding in. If he's there that day, you can try to make a stock if it, you know, if the weather suits, or maybe you just say, all right, he's in there today. Hopefully he's he's in there on the day where I got more time and the weather, weather's better. That's mm -hmm. definitely a strategy I'd be using a lot more yeah. now than I never would have before, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's like, I got time to go hunt, I'm going to go hunt. It's I mean, we talk about that when we're on out-of-state trips and we're traveling is, you know, we pick a, pick away at, finding new spots and we act like we wouldn't do that if we were hunting around home but we still would you know if this was if this was a place that i was going to hunt for the entire season again i would be in no rush until i found something i really wanted to dive into because again if one of the challenges is that you don't have tons of acreage to go you don't want to just go blowing deer every single chance you get yeah and not to say that we wouldn't hunt aggressively either yeah. which i think is something that we could yeah, eventually I think you'd transition. have to recognize, like, what the potential is for the deer to be back in that spot, I guess. So, like, they got pretty ultra. Like, we, I was talking back and forth with them on these this bachelor group. You know, I was, I was kind of just, you know, living through whatever they were telling me. But that was a situation where it's just like, all right, let's, I mean, I would, 
get ultra aggressive because when whenever that corn and beans comes out in that fence line of yours, like small chance that they're going to be that just that wouldn't make sense for them to want they're putting themselves in a pretty bad position and there's enough other stuff around that's like pretty high quality habitat where they can just kind of disappear into that until next summer basically so in that situation like that it's like you know you, you know you only got basically until the crops come out and uh they got ended up getting real aggressive towards the end it was my brother was ended up laying down in the bean field that was, you know, just 30 inch rows. That one was still pretty green too. It ended up being on the backside of Zimmy's. And Zimmy was up on a hill above my brother and he's like signaling to him when to lean up to sh like the bucks walking down the fence line. This is the closest I got to it. Just cause you know, the wind's blowing out across the open field. They can't set up on the fence line cause the bucks walking the fence line eating acorns and they'll smell them or bust them as, you know, he'd have to be shooting him. So they figured it made more sense to just be out there and Jim rose up and he could never, you know, Zimmy was a little higher on the hill behind him and Jim could never see the buck, but apparently it was just like 30 yards in front of him and then he just kind of disappeared. So Zimmy told me that story during sturgeon spearing with 15 times the detail that you just did. <laughs> <laughs> but point is, is yeah, uh -huh. that's exactly what happened in yeah. a nutshell. Uh -huh. But yeah. Zimmy told me that same story and just told me every last moment that happened. But yeah. It was it was a good learning Plus experience. Fifteen beers deep, that was probably <laughs> a real good story. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing that I think is interesting as far as betting goes. So we talk so much about betting specific things in hill country or big timber settings and obviously what we're talking about with the farm country is very different. One thing that I've always been a little interested in is there's always a comparison like well this in our area this doesn't happen or over here this happens or you guys better yet it's like you guys get this and we don't well along those lines of being aggressive when the timing's right because when the crops come out it's going to change everything it's the same deal in farm countries it is anywhere like deer may be here one day and five miles over here another day, just the same as they would be in a big timber setting in, yeah. you know, the eastern mountains, for example. And I just think that deer move. There's a lot of reasons that they would move. Uh -huh. And sometimes it's pressure. Sometimes it's not related to that at all. Just because they can. I, I, it's been interesting watching that MSU deer lab stuff, or I don't even know what it's called, but they got to uh, Missouri, Mississippi has that you know the, all the collared deer that they've been releasing the tracks of, and they just got like two or three minute videos on YouTube, and I think they post some stuff on their their uh, social media too. But basically, they classified or broke bucks down into basically two different types. I mean, obviously, all of them have different tendencies, but for the most part, they're either just like a core area buck or a roamer. You know, mm -hmm. and I don't, they call them something different, but you know, they're either living their life in a pretty small acreage or they're just kind of pinballing all over but it seems like they're returning to the set you know they have uh, however many spots five six ten spots that must just work for them they don't get you know shot at and or mess with and uh, apparently they can slip out you know even if they do run into people like they feel like whatever they did worked and they'll return to them and stuff like that and that's kind of what it seems like around here i mean you can uh, the the very first buck I ever shot, I'd say that I was 
I mean, I would have shot any nice buck that came by, but like he was the one that was there consistently. And I was kind of, you know, expecting to get a shot at him, I guess. That thing summered like it was like four or five miles to the saw to the north of where I first got pictures of him. I got pictures of him the night that season opened at like midnight. So I'd assume, and I know this because I watched all summer as uh, someone that I knew that hunted up the road. They had like a Facebook page where they filmed their hunts and stuff like that. And I was looking at all the trail camera pictures and stuff they were posting. And he, he was one of them. He's there all summer. That night at like midnight or one o'clock, this buck shows up and he never really left. And he was like every, every two, three, four days I get a picture of him. And I never had a deer on camera that consistently, you know, mm-hmm. but he was just, at least when what I had put together, he was bedding in a waterway between two standing cornfields with a bunch of mature oaks in it. And then the waterway went from, you know, 70 yards wide to like 30 and it kind of pinched down. And there was a bunch of like dogwood and stuff as it pinched down and it seemed like he was bedding, you know, just more towards the middle of that block. There's another big chunk of timber the opposite direction that I'd assume other people were hunting. But I mean, the reason I got permission to this spot is because my buddy, that my brother kind of got into hunting, uh, hunted there, and then he moved to New York. And I knew that like they never, he, that they hunted mainly behind his house. And I was just like, we had been into this spot before I was, and we had kicked bucks out of there. I'm just like, what about this spot? Like, I know he doesn't hunt there and he's not living around here anyway. So I went ahead and asked his uncle, like, would you mind if I tried hunting in there? So he let me and like I said, nobody was supposed to be in there for however long, like maybe 10, 15 years, nobody had bow hunted there. So that's probably why he was there as consistently as he was. But anyway, he's bedding in this little waterway between two cornfields and he's kind of feeding his way up towards these bigger oaks at night. And I think what eventually happened, I think I hunted him twice there and I, like I knew he was in there, but I probably waited three or four weeks to hunt him just to, for the right weather, I guess. That, that was another deal where it's just like me and Zimmy and Riley and Weber are just in a group text talking about, like they're kind of having to hold me back from going in there. And uh, Riley's one person that I feel like is really good at timing things out right. And, you know, we all agreed that whatever the weather was set up for me to go in there. And I hunted him for like one or two days and then he bounced across the road because I think he got on to me, just, you know, me walking in there. And so I hunted there one afternoon and he was just hitting a series of scrapes, you know, just throughout this whole field edge. And then he'd bounce across the road and I guess there was more oaks over there. And uh, so I'm set up over this scrape and uh, a bunch of does come filtering through the first night. And I had, me and Zimmy had made a little food pot there, which we probably didn't even have to do. We could have just, you know, been set up over the scrape. But anyway, all the does come filtering through and it's like calm enough where I should hear deer coming. You know, it's 20 minutes before dark. So I'm just like, I'm just going to get down while all these does are cleared out and get out of here. And, you know, we had, I knew I didn't have to touch a bunch of stuff on the way in. You know, we had it kind of prepped where it's like my pants aren't dragging up a bunch of stuff. Like... And I don't know if it mattered or not, but, you know, I, I, I feel like in a situation like that where you kind of know where you're going, if you can limit the amount of ground scent that you're laying down, mm-hmm. that's, I feel like that's important. So anyway, slip out of there, go back in, and the weather's going to be good again the next night. And uh, those come through, small bucks, stuff like that, and all of a sudden here he comes. And I go to reach for my bow, and I'm trying to film all this stuff by myself, too, and I got 
too many cameras. I'm trying to be Greg Clements, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm so getting all my cameras going and go to reach for my bow, and it's pretty, like, uh, it's sunny like it is today. I grabbed for my bow and just, like, wasn't looking at it. I was looking at the deer, and I bumped it, and it just starts swinging, and, like, he caught the glare of it or something. And he's coming for this trail, like, that all the other deer use, that it goes right underneath my feet pretty much. He looks for a second, and then he just, like, goes off the course that he was on. And he starts skirting, and he's hugging tight to the edge of the corn, and he gets out where I realize he's not going to come within range. So I grunt at him a couple times, and just, like, he just comes charging in. And I hit him way low and back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, but that was just, like, one of those deals where, you know, he hadn't been hunted in there, so I mean, he he didn't hesitate at all when he heard another buck in this spot that he had been kind of running for the last couple of weeks. It seemed like, and I don't know where I was going with that, but it, I guess one one main point of that is like where he was originally bedded, and it might have been where he was coming from that day all the way across the road, just because the weather was good. Like the, there wasn't much to it at all. Like there's you know like three or four real big mature oaks that were dropping acorns. And then just, you know, good enough habitat where he can stand up and browse throughout the day, like pretty high stem count stuff. There's a, a lot of times around here, if there is any sort of buffer that they're not farming, it's probably going to be where there's permanent water, like a creek running through. Mm -hmm. And he was bedded right up against something like that. And that's where I've, I found probably the most bucks and stuff like that around here. Every once in a while, you'll, you'll catch him out on like an isolated island in some of these fields, it seems like. But I feel like the permanent water is pretty darn important mm -hmm. for especially for consistent bedding and early season especially yeah. too i feel that there's kind of a list that comes to mind of bedding areas that i would check in farm country that maybe you wouldn't think about in a more timbered setting mm -hmm. and one of them is timber corners so when the crops come out it seemed like in my area bucks would pop up in these timber corners and they would just sit there because they could watch a whole bunch of different area in the fields. And it's kind of funny because we would bump these deer out of these field corners when we were younger and we had no idea what we were doing. But inevitably, our approach had a hill behind it. This one particular property we hunted had a hill. And the guy told us, just always park over there which looking back on it could have been the dumbest thing ever <laughs> but it just so happened to be right where the deer couldn't see us in one corner where they would bed and there's all kinds of stories of me and my buddies like bumping big bucks out of there like one time my buddy was going into um just hunt on a solo gun hunt and was just going to kind of still hunt his way through there and just got in that corner and all of a sudden he's in there with this big buck and he looks over and the buck's looking at him and as soon as it sees him you know gets out of there but field corners man are just i'm sorry timber corners are just something that i don't really see that in a ton of different spots and some properties or parts of the country just don't have rectangular woodlots but where yeah. i grew up they're shaped all in a rectangle there's rarely a curving boundary mm -hmm. here there's a little bit more of that but still a lot of corners yeah do you see that here too i do yeah i haven't hunted when i was hunting around here a bunch i never had permission to any real sizable acreage of timber though like honestly i can't think of a spot where i had permission to where there was more than one acre of woods even really, really. it was all just fence lines and then mostly waterways and stuff like that and 
I guess that's why I ended up hunting on the ground a lot of times, and that's where I started hunting with my grandpa, too. It's like there's limited trees that you get into, mm-hmm. you know. But bedding, bedding though, I do want to, I do want to kind of focus on that for a minute because I feel like it is just so different. Waterways is one that you've mentioned multiple times, and my dad always tells a story of where he hunted his way through the cornfield, set up on the waterway, and just had a parade of bucks go past him early season. That always was something that came to mind when I was hunting these different areas. But I think if you could get a grassy waterway, yeah. one that's not mowed, one that has water in it, yeah. actually. Uh, Some of my favorite spots early season, too, are like a fence line with a drowned out spot in like a cornfield where, you know, it's just, you know, you got a 10 foot barrier and then in this, in these wet spots, a lot of times there's just all sorts of different broadleafs that grow up, you know, just cause the corn doesn't come up. So there's, that's not all canopied out and you'll just get a variety of different plant types growing up in those drowned out spots. And they can be an acre plus a lot of times. And I mean, I guess I know how to talk to farmers enough around here where I can be like hey you know you're you're, the weeds are getting out of control in that spot you want me to go in there and broadcast some turnips or some radishes you know they're not going to come up the next spring so they're not going to be an issue for you to go off and kill and it'll kind of canopy out and i guess suppress the weeds from coming up and i mean i've done it too where you go in there and even just spray whatever is coming up and you know just do like a free little food pot that's everything's already worked up you know it's fertilized because they're farming it and stuff like that but those are those are spots that after that corn comes out i mean i probably didn't really hunt there unless you know it sets up next to something i guess on the neighbors that they might just be pulling out of but a lot of times you can just tuck right into that corn and be sitting in the standing corn and that gets pretty intense because you're hearing deer coming through the corn you know and a lot of times it's close quarters it's my grandpa did that, did that a lot. It seemed like back when he was younger, just it, corn rows were a lot wider then, so I think the yeah. deer were bedding directly in the corn a lot more. But they're still bedding right along the edge of it and in it some, especially in those drowned out spots where you know the population of corn stalks I guess isn't as high. It seems like mm-hmm. another thing that came to mind when you mentioned fence rows is in a standing corn situation if you've got a fence row that runs through it you've got corn on either side of it especially if you can pair that with obviously water is a factor but also oak trees that are dropping acorns yeah. i feel like that is just money and it allows you to have early season they got shade with those big oaks too and they may shift their bedding around during the day so even a middle of the day hunt in those situations can be beneficial because they may be following that shadow. Like mm-hmm. I talked to um, Justin Syme one time at length about deer moving around a point. It was a finger, but how they would move around in the corn just based off where that shadow is hitting. Yep. I find that really interesting, but it just also allows you to have another option of a place to hunt that, may not be good one year let's say it's beans even if those trees are chopping acorns on that bean year they may not be there if you can see it from the road or see it from houses and stuff they probably won't be there yeah at the same time though it's like i think bean fields around here they'll bet in the bean fields during the summer around here and probably into season some but then i get to thinking about like when we were in kentucky 
Mm-hmm. Those deer were bedded. I mean, and the beans were taller than any beans I'd ever seen. The other about up to my neck, you know, five foot tall beans, which is pretty wild to think about. But I mean, imagine how cool that is for a deer to be out in a bean field in the shade with the breeze blowing them, you know, on them. And they can just stand up throughout the day. And I mean, all you could see is their neck. If they get, you know, like like where we were hunting at, there's a lot of fields that were far, far from the road. Mm-hmm. And that's where Warb ended up killing that buck. But there was a whole bachelor group of them out there. And we found several others too in that area that we were hunting where deer just bedded right in you know where they're feeding in the afternoon just kind of following that shade around something that is another one that i read a book by roger rothar one time um and it was really interesting to hear his take on cornfields and one thing that really stuck with me was he would look for isolated single oak trees that would grow in the middle of a field which is a really common thing it definitely happens around here i know the farmers will leave them i think just out of respect for age it seems like that's just like they don't want to go cutting down a tree that's potentially two three four hundred years old which is pretty cool but you see that one lone tree you know way out there there is a turkey out there by the way i don't know if you've or maybe that's raccoon right on the turkey i think we need our field glass But the, uh, you see that isolated tree out there, and especially if it's dropping acorns, it's like if that thing is, you know, 500 yards off the road or 1,000 yards off the road or you can't even see it from the road, that's pretty interesting because if he's got food with acorns and corn being there, he's got a lot of things going for him, and especially if it's close to water or better yet you pair it with a pond like yeah. one one spot that would be attractive to me would be like a old cattle pond or something that would be in a, a, a field that's surrounded by corn that maybe has some willows growing up beside it i feel like spots like that every yeah. time i see them i mean they're usually just on private but i see them and i'm like ooh, i'd love to go in there and check it out on a corn year you uh-huh. know just see what the heck, even just to see it but it seems like a lot of those farmers that i mean where you look at it, it's just like i mean maybe there isn't a tree on the whole place but it you know if, if you're driving past you see deer out there or you know you know there's good habitat that sets up right next to it. if it's standing corn you don't need a tree you got a uh, 100 acre ground blind right <laughs> yeah. there you can sit wherever you want and that standing corn slips through that and be set up right along the edge of it and then i guess you know as the year goes on i mean my grandpa talks about doing a bunch i've never done it and had success but i've had a lot of fun doing it and the times that i run into deer is just slipping through cornfields around here it seems like they don't bed in them as much because i think if i the corners used to be 40 inches wide or 38 inches wide or something like that and now 30 is pretty common, but even down to 15 or 20 they'll do. So I imagine, you know, just a buck walking through that with a, any size rack and, you know, just being able to let, lay down there comfortably and stuff like that is just not, doesn't seem like they bet in them as much as they used to. And that's just me saying that because, I mean, I, n- I don't have any experience with it more than, you know, within the last 10 years, I guess. But, I mean, if you can get in a cornfield and it seems like, the times I've run into deer is just in like low areas like that close to low spots like I mentioned earlier but I mean <laughs> I mean there's been a couple times several different times where they just think I'm another deer and they're coming in to fight me you know it's like a lot of times when I was doing it's just like a windy day late October early November and they hear me coming and all of a sudden I just hear an animal marching at me 
and it's like that gets pretty intense there's one time i was down the road here and i would just got you know out of the vehicle and all of a sudden a deer goes running off i'm 20 yards off the road one deer went taken off i'd assume it was the doe and then all of a sudden i hear grunting and just like you know he's just trying to sound as loud as he can coming down it ended up being the next row it's like i'm hearing him come so i, I drew back and then it's like I mean, I got to check to see where this thing's at. And I leaned out and like, he was like from media away and he looked at me and I looked at him and he just went taking off. That was a pretty nice buck. And then just kind of ended up slipping my way through there. I think I found the doe that he was with that I never did, could catch back up to him. But I mean, that's just another opportunity that, I mean, until that corn gets picked, I mean, I guess that what may, might not be worth hunting there. Did I say that right? It might not be worth hunting after the corn gets. Yeah. But there down. might be just, you know, a buck or two locked down with the doe in there or Lord knows how many. You know? <laughs> yeah, well, and I think one thing that's interesting, too, that I've read in other people's, either read or actually there was a video that was on YouTube there for a while that was, uh, I can't remember what that guy's name was. Can you remember? I can't. Some old timer. Yeah, but he was talking about how he had, like, one year hunted in Iowa and Minnesota and North Dakota and whatever, like, four different states and was killing bucks and standing corn in every one of them. But what he was doing was even into the late season, just trying to find those last standing cornfields and just stalking his way through them. And if you can find it still, we'll try to pop up some text or something to tell you where to look. Cause it is yeah. a super educational video about how to hunt corn and this guy's experiences. And like Jake said too, there's probably some things that have changed with the, uh, rows being smaller now but at the same time I think there's a lot of uh, things that you could still apply even though and I think when you're doing that too don't you don't need to look at it as, as like there the, 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 there's a hundred acres there that could be anywhere I mean you could kind of look at your map and tell like there's I know there's a lone tree in that corner and then they're going to be they're not going to just, just walk out into the middle of that thing for the most they're gonna part. get lost yeah i mean there's a reason i think they use those trees is they're using it as a visual cue to a beacon, say yeah. yeah i'm going there mm-hmm. and it's the same thing you see in like uh, a marsh or yeah. i mean you can see that on a map on aerial image in a marsh where they go straight to the trees yeah. and the buck that ted shot in oklahoma that was kind of farm country. Yeah. There's this little tree, and that all those deer were going right to it. Ted just went and sat underneath of it yeah. and shot the buck out in the wide open otherwise, yeah. but there he went to that tree. Yeah. Same thing goes for a cornfield. They're going to have to have something yeah. to go to because, I mean, I'm not saying they're going to get lost, but like what's like you said, what's the point of going out in the middle of that it's thing? Just, I can't imagine it's very comfortable for no. him to walk out in the middle of this field right here when it's standing corn. There's also no diversity. Mm-hmm. There's also no water. In a lot of situations at least and i think that therefore just be looking at your map i mean you'll be able to tell where the low areas of the field are where there's like a maybe a pocket of trees or something like that and those would be the areas that i'd probably gravitate towards to start and honestly i probably wouldn't waste my time with with you know just walking through the middle of it but yeah i think relating it to some sort of additional cover is going to be helpful because again that's also going to be an added food source like we mentioned the oaks earlier but there's all kinds of opportunities on an edge where even looking just right here i mean you got some more variation in plants Mm -hmm. and i think when you add that to the mix it's just more enticing for them because they can feed on multiple things throughout the day yeah 
deer don't like to just eat one thing. I mean, yeah. even that buck that you killed in North Dakota, great farm country example where this deer goes, lays out in the middle of the, what was that stuff called? Canola. Canola. Mm-hmm. Let's forget that. Mm-hmm. But we don't have that where I grew up. <laughs> and that buck would bet there, but what you had observed was just that he was going to get a little something, bit. Something else. A little different salad over yeah. here right on the edge of that corn. Yep. And I just think that. That's yeah, another interesting thing about that, too, is that we, I don't know that we ever really talk about much, or people might not realize from the video just because we didn't get a ton of footage of it, is that we weren't even going after the buck that I killed. We were, there was one that was seemed like he was maybe a little older or bigger than him, or at least the same type of buck, but he had lost his velvet. And so, he, you know, that that was just a big square section, basically, that we're going into. I can't, it was like a mile plus, though, from where... I had last seen this buck specifically that we kicked up late. You know, he, I watched him lay down when got Grant. We come back, and uh, we're walking in, and, like, this thing had moved a mile in September. Just yeah, I'd assume he just walked, you know, the edge of the field, the edge of the field, and he got down right between two standing cornfields where he's in the shade. And, I mean, it was for sure the same buck, and, like, last thing we were expecting to do was kick him up a mile away from where I had seen him. Luckily... So he gets up, I go taking off after him just because I know, like, when he gets out in this field, I'm going to be able to see him for a long way. So if I get up to this corner, I'm going to be able to see a lot. And get up to this corner, and I cl- crawled on top of that rock pile or shed or whatever it was and didn't see him. But I think when he went tearing through there, he got the other two bucks up on their feet, luckily. So it's like, well, we spooked one, but luckily there's three total, one small buck and then the one we end up killing. But... uh that's another type of spot where... Which ain't no shrimp. <laughs> no, he's, he ended up being a lot bigger than what he looked like from the road, so it makes me wonder what that other buck that he was hanging out with was that made made us made me not that interested in him, you know, while the other one was standing out there. But then, obviously, he ended up being pretty darn nice. But that's another spot, too, where, like, once all that crop comes out, I mean, unless he's locked down with a doe out by that. Probably ain't no that reason shed. that he'd ever yeah, be Because we were there. on the corner of four straight up, you know, I guess there was a bunch of different, I guess it was corn, 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 and then canola. And, uh, yeah, it would have been pretty barren out there after all that stuff gets harvested for sure. Yeah, I mean, and not to say that you won't catch him doing something, but, I mean, out in the middle of even corn stubble is probably low odds even for, <laughs> even for a lockdown buck yeah. you know i think that um something else that comes to mind when i think of bedding is um oh shoot what was i gonna say dang it there was something right there oh shit nice <laughs> oh okay so this this is this is a good what Another unique bedding opportunity that I've seen is power lines because they'll create a unique habitat type that you don't see everywhere. So in my area, and actually the property that I talk about a lot, hunting, it's the place that I hunted the most just because it was really close to where I I lived. I could be there in a, a minute. But it had this power line that ran through it. And even when there would be those big power i don't even know what you call them like a giant tower and you know that line runs for however far even when they'd be out in the middle of the field it would create this little pocket of diversity underneath of them and 
I had seen where bucks would lay under those. Yeah. Especially with the doe or something. Mm-hmm. I watched a video one time where I watched a guy kill a gigantic buck in the flattest, most <laughs> open farm country field under one of those things locked with a doe. Yeah. And I think that in general, those things just create added diversity. And sometimes in farm country, I think one of the hangups is, is like if there's timber there, it's kind of just junk timber. Like there's no real reason that it's there other than maybe there's i shouldn't say junk timber but it's open timber mm-hmm. and there's not always a ton of diversity in it at least in my a lot area of open canopy timber where it's yeah. not high stem count stuff that's just all kind of and, and really here i have noticed that the woods is a little bit more beneficial to the deer in general yeah. i mean there's a ton of oaks in this area where there are oaks for sure where i hunted a lot but there's also forests that would just be exclusively maple and that has some food value to a deer but not for the entire season and i feel that when you find something that breaks it up like a power line or that property that we gun hunt on there like right where we shoot all the deer you know pretty much every year you can get bet that they're going to be out in that open there's a gas line that runs through there Mm -hmm. so you know every five or so years they'll come through and clear that you know they'll just bush hog it and, you know, after a year or two, it's like deer, all that dogwood and stuff like that starts to come back up. And it's just like, a, you know, a bunch of young regeneration mm-hmm. that everything seems to flock to or swarm to. So just little stuff like that where stuff's getting disturbed maybe a little more than, mm-hmm. you know, I guess the rest of the countryside. The other thing, too, that I think about is to, to just simply dumb it down. And I think this any size of timber lot especially in farm country though don't overthink it like just go to those thickets you know like if you're looking at an aerial photo and you can see there's a thicket or a swamp or some sort of difference go check that out and there's all kinds of examples too where we've still seen deer bed in those bigger tracks especially if they're not getting bumped around too much but anytime there's some sort of disturbance in a small woodlot that's gonna probably be the spot if they're in there and as the crops come out they're going to get funneled down to those spots more often so if you are lucky enough to land permission or have public areas that have that diversity in them don't be afraid to just go right to those spots too and check them out or at least have a plan of how you would hunt them when they move into that in a given year or a given yeah and if they're in there then i mean there's going to be sign that's going to be all all those trees are going to be scarred up and i think that's one thing too with with the farm one stuff especially is like you can count on deer coming back to those same areas just because habitat is so limited and cover is so limited. Like if they find a spot that works for them, they're just going to keep going back to mm-hmm. it until they have a reason not to. It seems like, like there's a buck, that was the one my mom ended up killing in the backyard here. He was coming out to a field, a bean field down here a bunch during the summer. And I'd, I didn't know where, you know, he was going to be bedded specifically. Like I just hadn't, you know, went in there the year, and I should have just made time to do it the year before when, you know, all the foliage was off and stuff like that because he had been around for a year or two at that point, and he was probably a four- or five-year-old buck the year that my mom killed him. And I was like, I don't know where he – I know he's coming from along that ditch, but I don't, I don't know where, and I need to know, you know. So – it was early enough in the summer where it's just like, I'm just going to go in. Like, I know he's in there. I've seen him, you know, however many nights in a row. I'm just going to go in there and spook him and see, you know, I 
where he's at because I'm sure it's where he spends his time during the fall too just because around here that just seems like the case like other places in the country that I've been it seems like they might shift you know during mm -hmm. the fall but if wherever he was at down there it seems like you know he'll if if he's in this block or if he's you know using that area he's just going to use that same exact bed just because like i said covers so much more limited so anyway i think me and hayden went in there and it's just like we just basically went in there like we were bow hunting it's like let's like get as close as we can to this thing and make sure it's him if we can and try to get eyes on him we didn't get eyes on him but we spooked make sure and make sure he knows it's you too <laughs> <laughs> and so we go in there and spook this buck i'd assume it was this buck you know he'd been going out there about every night how they do during the summer they get pretty consistent with their actions and so we go in there and spook them and then it it was you know getting towards the end of october and he had moved from to the north i think zimmy had seen him shining and stuff like that i wasn't around but um started getting pictures of him and stuff down here and he was I think I hunted him a couple of times. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to go in there and like sit in the bed, you know, that he's, that we kicked him out of during the summer. Still was standing corn where I felt like I could just get into that standing corn. The ditch that he was bedding along was 30, 40 yards wide top. So I was just like, I'll just hang out in there. And if I, you know, try to get in there early enough where I beat him back in there and if he stands, or even if he beds down, you know, before daylight, I'll be somewhere close enough where, you know, as he stands up throughout the day, which I know he's going to, within a couple hours, probably I'll be able to shoot him, hopefully. So I go slipping in there and I am to the last row of corn and I'm, you know, I had really been taking my time and there was a good amount before daylight and, you know, I'm just kind of just shifting my feet around you know, getting them kind of planted where I'm going to be comfortable standing there for however long I need to. And it was pretty calm. And I'm like 25, 30 yards away from this bed. And I, all of a sudden, a deer gets up, heavy deer, hear antlers clanging, he takes off. Like he had probably been listening, but apparently I sounded enough like a deer or something until that point where he, he didn't care, but he, he took off out of there and he beat me in there. And that was a good good ways before they got light out but i know that like when joe shot that buck bedded a couple of years ago that's what he was doing too is just like trying to beat him back into the spot and i mean he literally shot the, the deer came in and laid down underneath him before it got light out but it's it was so specific of a spot that you know he was counting on them coming back in there and i think you can do that a lot in farm country mm -hmm. it's like they're going to be bedded either in that specific bed or there's going to be a series of three to five of them, you know, within 20, 30 yards, it seems like, which you can definitely use that to your advantage for sure. I think that um, funnels are kind of an interesting topic in farm country because they can look kind of unique. I think there are funnels that are in the middle of a field, yeah. if that makes sense. Like one thing I was thinking about, was deer's, a big buck's ability and willingness to use the low spot in the field where he could walk what looks to be the wide open. Yeah, you should be able to see him out there, but I know if a deer is standing in a lot of places in that field, you can't see him. Mm -hmm. And I've been thinking about that too. Like even here, there's enough roll right there, mm -hmm. especially in that corner right behind you. There's enough roll right there where a deer could sneak straight from that woodlot into that thicket right there and just keep on moving in broad daylight. And even if you were looking right at it, he, you wouldn't see him. Yeah. 
a lot of times they would cut basically from the wood they'd be coming from the crp type stuff back there but they would cut out of range basically of all the trees there and on a west wind they'd just be kind of walking right downwind of a lot of that wood lot you know because i'm sure people were hunting in there but they'd be out in that open, getting downwind of all that stuff and walk right into it. I mean, broad daylight because we hunted. I mean, I used to hunt back in there, pretty much all that stuff. I just think that big old drop time buck actually stood out there and fed on corn one night. Same, in the same night, Hunter Borchard shot like a three or four point. <laughs> <laughs> you watched the, the big drop time and then oh, Hunter yeah. went ahead and took the, took oh, yeah. the magnum. Yeah, there were several nice bucks, but... Hey, Hunter went he hunting. He smoked him. <laughs> Watched him fall. I, I think that um, if you're willing to get out of the stand too in mm-hmm. farm country, it's a pretty huge opportunity. Maybe more than a bound anywhere. Because again, if you take the trends of what the majority of hunters are doing in a specific area, one thing that's definitely consistent where I grew up is there's a ton of tree stands in the timber. Yeah. But you get outside the timber and nobody's hunting in those places. Yeah, I mean, places. you can pretty much take any field corner around here, and you're going to expect there to be some sort of stand in it, and the deer, if he's got any size to him, they, I'd like to think they know about most of that, so they're going to have stuff that they do to that they're checking, basically, before they're going to put themselves at risk, like like I said, swinging downwind of all of the trees that someone could potentially be in, then, then going in. It's like they know they're safe. There ain't nothing they're going to do to beat their nose. No. And I, I just think that it's I don't, I don't, I don't know, man. I'm all, I was thinking about this late last night. I really was coming home from, coming back and from talking with Hayden and Allie earlier. I'm driving middle of the night and I'm thinking about, thinking about tree stands and I'm thinking about trail cameras. I'm thinking about all these things that hunters consistently leave in the woods. And I started laughing to myself because I'm like, man, how many times in my life I had to get into, you know, an argument with somebody telling them that my belief is is that deer know that your trail camera is there but then i get to thinking about it even more like your tree stand your your gigantic ladder stand which i've hunted out of and i've i have at my grandpa's place but even just your ratchet strap on your tree stand like you kidding me like they don't smell that <laughs> like as soon as you put that up they're like okay right there is a danger zone yeah. and uh, you, you talk about a four or five year old buck and you talk about these isolated cover patches uh, where the trail camera video you can put over it that covers exactly what you're talking about where nick shot that buck last year uh-huh. a big you know four or five year old buck or maybe it was a three-year-old buck i don't know it's big for around here it's like a 12 point buck he sat in front of that camera where we, you know, we were looking for blood in the corn. There's a, there's like six or seven videos of this buck just like, like, because nobody had been in there the whole fall until then. And that that's why he was in there within a couple of days when we were, I'm sure. Like, we were looking for Nick's buck and it's like, well, there's something pretty big that's been spending some time in here because there's just rubs, you know, up to my chest and stuff like that. And we put a camera up because we didn't end up finding that buck but we're just like well we'll see if he shows back up and like one of the first bucks that comes back is that deer and he's just you can tell he's just taking note on like he probably just followed everything we did i've I've seen him do it before i remember todd pregnant's posting a cool video like that too he he had you know he's hunting a specific deer 
and had a close call with him and he's just like i think he ended up busting the deer and but that buck just came back like i think it was within a couple of hours and when he's he spooked him and he, you could tell he's just like sniffing around just kind of taking note of everything you know everywhere that he had been it seemed like and i i think they do that for sure it seems like at least some deer will do that i mean you got isolated cover you got hunters that are habitual you got a buck that lives out there every day of his life mm-hmm. you have to do a lot of convincing and a lot of uh a lot of studies or some scientific proof to make me believe that they don't know exactly where all that stuff we leave in the woods as hunters is mm-hmm. I, there's just i don't know feel I mean, pretty strongly i, I at follow this my point. dog around enough to know that like as much as what she picks up on it's interesting to see you know to know a deer can smell better than that it's like well there's but i mean i'll send her after my arrows that i'd miss the target with and then there's stuff that i'll leave you know i'll leave or lose in the woods and i know i lost it somewhere along the way that i'll have her go back and find days later it's like yeah a deer pretty impressive a deer, a deer that spends i mean she's a pretty pampered dog i mean a, a deer that just like you said lives its whole life out there they're pretty familiar with everything that's going on out there they get in tune i think with a their lot of, i think i forget that and everybody probably does it's absolutely like, think about when it's you know snowing or raining it's like a turkey's out there holding on to a tree limb that night and yeah. stuff like that just think about how in tune they are with everything that's going on out there it's pretty crazy yeah i think if we go hunting and we become a part of nature and i think for a lot of us that's what we like about hunting but it's obvious why a mature buck is so much better than us Mm -hmm. like he wins the game nine out of ten times because he does it every day we go inside we are pampered too (laughs) you know it's like your dog's pampered it's like (laughs) like, oh it's raining outside i'm not gonna go hunting today well that buck's out there doing something and i just i i I think too about anything that we hunt in the fall deer and elk and all that like what are they doing when it's the last thing we're thinking about we're out there fishing in june or you know we're out on the boat you know on a family they're vacation still thinking about us a little bit they're still out there doing their thing and they're still gaining experience that we're not i mean yeah. even in a five-year-old buck's lifetime the amount i mean for straight up five years he's in tune every single day because he's surviving and we go out there you know because he has no choice but to be in right. tune. like that's his life is just trying to survive i mean i guess that's what everybody's trying to do but not as many things are trying to kill us as that or as they're trying to kill a white-tailed deer or turkey or whatever you know humans pursue really yeah other than the government <laughs> <laughs> well they just flew by the whole seemed like <laughs> checked out what was going around going on around here and then hit the gas <laughs> that's what i like to think at least <laughs> <laughs> we're here y'all are y'all are doing okay <laughs> One thing that I noticed when I was back home where I grew up kind of the last few times was funnel-wise, something that I think I overlooked when I was a kid was just down to timber. I'd look through that flat woods and I'd be like, man, how a deer, how would you ever pick the trail? But there are certain little things that can create these funnels and you almost have to look at funnels on a more micro scale where... I think when you're hunting, like, for example, big mountains in um, some of the areas that I've hunted in the east, you may look at a saddle that's this gigantic t- terrain feature that 
deer might be going up and over to save themselves hundreds of feet going up. And in that situation, this is a really big, obvious funnel. But sometimes in farm country, when you're looking at these little parcels, there might be these, I guess I would call them micro funnels, which might just be a trees down. And then maybe there's a little wet spot here, or maybe it's um, just some thicker vegetation. Whatever it may be, looking at micro funnels and looking at anywhere we can pick up a trail. Because... One of the best hunts I ever had was this was on that same property that I talked about at the beginning where the corn was. There was a little pond in there. And I I don't know if it was just kind of a natural wet area or if it was an old cattle pond of some sort. But regardless, it was just this maybe a quarter acre little pond just inside the timber. And my buddy and I were squirrel hunting in there. I know I've told you this story like 500 times and maybe y'all listening have heard it 500 times too but it's one of my favorite memories because it's an easy story to visualize though because i think everybody's done something similar we were up there squirrel hunting me and my buddy isaac and we were walking through the edge and there was a bunch of big oaks right there and you know in hindsight i'm sure they were just dropping acorns like crazy and that's probably why he was there because this was an early season hunt when this happened or at least at the latest mid to late october but we went in there squirrel hunting and found this trail going right along the side of that wet area. And I guess at that time, I had never really seen a trail. I know that sounds silly. And I know there were trails that I wasn't picking up on my, my ability to see them. It's when the more. light bulb finally went on for you, though. Yeah, and it was like, this is a just straight line right down through here. And I think there was actually even a couple scrapes on it. But they were getting pinched down by that water. And I ended up going back in there and hanging in a climber. And it was just in this tree that was close to that trail. And it was one of the few trees I could get my climber in. And it didn't work out because fast forward to last slide, I'm losing confidence. And actually, Isaac was sitting on the other side of that pond. And I'm starting to lose confidence. And all of a sudden, I look down in there and I see... A deer moving. I heard a deer moving. I hear deer rubbing. Sure enough, here comes this really nice buck, like one that I was very surprised to see coming out of there. And he came right down that trail and got right under my stand. He's quartered two, and he saw me up there and jumped and bounded right to 20 yards, but he was quartered away. And on high alert, I was shooting a super slow bow, old bow, aluminum arrows still, and, uh, he, he, you know, totally, when I shot, I'm, I would gu- guarantee that deer dropped down, and I'm sure I didn't aim low enough, and I just hit him on the top of the back, and he, he definitely lived, because my dad saw him later, you know, a couple weeks later, and uh, almost, actually, my dad had a gimme on him, but it was too dark. He came to the scrape that he was on, and the, the other little wood lot that was right there, yep. and just decided that he couldn't see his pins well enough uh-huh. and that's good that's a good whoa that phone gets a little weird but that was a, it was just a cool hunt because like you said the light bulb went off it was like wait that is a funnel <laughs> right there and then after that i was always able to see the, those a little bit better and i would say as time goes on i've just continued to get better and another 
And I mean, being able to see little trails like that has just gone a really long way yeah. for me. It helps me visualize and anticipate movement. Seems like around here, the best funnels are, you know, those buffer those buffers that are a little wider between fields. Or, and a lot of times, like I said earlier, they got water in them where, you know, like I can think about this this river back here, the creek, I guess it is, both sides of it, there's 10 yards of, you know, just pretty high stem count stuff. And on that, there's a, on the one side, there's a, it's a rise in elevation, but the deer through the years, you know, as thick as it, as it is along there, there's a trail, like a little tunnel, really, you know, that's deer height that they can cruise up. And I'm sure the amount of bucks that cruise up and down that thing, I've seen it, you know, that they, they stay in that cover. I mean, and they can cruise out for a mile plus that I can think of and probably for longer than that and never be seen by anybody from the road unless somebody was in a tree stand. I mean, mm -hmm. or when they're crossing the road and you're not going to see them. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge, long funnel where you could catch deer making big moves. And, you know, as this creek goes, there's little spots where it jets out and gets wider and that's where a doze will bed and other bucks and I mean, that's pretty easy for him to get the right wind and just run down that and check a pretty big swath of country, really. And another thing I wanted to talk about, too, before we wrap things up is decoys. When crops do come out, that's that's when the decoy comes. And I'm sure Greg's just got a ton of footage of that. But, I mean, anywhere where, you know, you, I mean, a deer can see I mean, see honestly, it. you could probably just set up right here with a decoy in the right situation. You get a buck fired up enough. Yeah. You never know. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can get a little bit more lenient just with be, your setup. Get it out there, you know, wherever the wind makes sense for you, where they hopefully can't get downwind of you, and then be ready to call at them as soon as they should be able to see that decoy. Just make sure you got stuff where you can get loud enough where they can hear you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> get get your rattling antlers, get your grunt call, and, I mean, be ready. To, if you're in a tree, I'd have some stuff tied up to, like, a string to make some sort of ground noise because they're going to, sit there and look at it for a good while if they've been called at for a while but the you know the more realistic you can sound and if you can get a decoy out there that'll a lot of times sell them it seems like and that's a pretty fun and effective way to get them in bow range and a spot like that where it's just like i mean he could just be cruising across the middle of that field and there's not really a great reason for him to go in anywhere specific and but if you can throw a decoy out in front of you that definitely can increase your odds i'd say yeah, and I think something else that I was thinking about that is worth noting, too, in farm country is obviously fields are kind of a clean slate when it comes to finding tracks. I think that's something that, as far as scouting goes, we talk about rubs and scrapes and stuff all the time, but just simply finding tracks. And I actually was talking to Andy May a couple of weeks ago, and he was telling a story about a buck that he shot in Michigan and stuff that... I'm visualizing being pretty dang similar to this around here and yep. where I grew up. And uh, turkey's back out. I got slightly distracted. But uh, he talked about how when he was trying to find where that buck was moving from one woodlot to the other, he was just finding these big tracks going across the middle of a field. And therefore, when he picked his setup, he was within range of that, you know, Yep. big buck track going across the field and it's like you think about all the situations where you find tracks going into a spot especially in stuff like this and it's like well you know maybe he is running through the middle of that field but 
you know, if you can find any way to intercept them along the way, and I, and again, if you can get and are willing to get out of the stand, then I think that opens up even more opportunities because maybe he's crossing a little waterway where you can tuck down in some grass or a little bit of willow brush or something like that. And I, I really like that idea of tracks. And you can check a lot of these spots that we've talked about, like maybe a transition between corn and a fence row or um, even just entering and exiting fields in general. I feel like that's a huge starting point right? Like, again, I'm always thinking of it from the standpoint of not having trail cameras. Like, how do I know one's there? Well, Mm -hmm. I want to look down that edge and just say, okay, you know, these trails and these are mostly does coming out of here, but that's the buck trail. You find his track going in and out of there and you can use that to your advantage. Yeah. And a state like this, you can spotlight at Mm -hmm. night. I mean, use that to your advantage for sure. I mean, you can cover a lot of ground and not have to put any sort of scent in whatever area you're hunting and learn a lot about what's going on you know an hour or even a couple hours after dark and you know just seeing which way a deer's going maybe you know he's on this field you know right after dark and then you know two hours later he's down there where you can hunt well i mean on your best weather day he might end up way the hell down there you know so at least you know he's around and he's willing to use that piece of property you know i like i like the track thing i just find that so helpful and another thing that I actually talked with Joe about today is something that's really easy to pick up on in farm country I feel like is field entrances from the woods just that visual hole where some trails that are doe trails are pretty narrow but that big wide 20 inch sun coming through there he's going to bust a little bit of bigger hole through there just because his body's bigger he's taller and he's got antlers on his head that are wide and tall. Mm-hmm. So therefore, a little hole that he's coming in and out of might even be a visual thing. Like, there's a lot of times where I'm driving down the road and it's, you know, just some random place. And it's like, well, that's that spot. You can just see that that's the hole where, not to say that he's doing it in daylight. Or he, he it's absolutely the place you're going to catch him. But it might be a place to start. If you don't get him there in daylight, maybe you backtrack down that trail and that's going to kind of give you that line. Mm-hmm. I just think stuff like that is pretty uh, easy to pick up on when you have that limited cover that farm country offers pretty often. See that? I'm pretty sure I can I don't actually see him right in this moment, but I'm pretty sure back behind in between here and the next brown field, I'm pretty sure he's right there. Do you see that? The, I just saw something. He just keeps like you see him pop up, but there's then he like disappears. a grass waterway mm-hmm. that he's on the closer side of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But when he he was further to the left a little bit ago, and you could see him playing his day, and it was like, it looks like a big bird. <laughs> nah, get distracted by these turkeys, and we'll never get done. I think we can. Is there anything else I suppose that comes to mind? I mean, there's, I guess. For me, there's a million things about farm country that make it fun and unique and have these extra challenges, and I feel that it's probably a topic that we should try to keep talking about. Yeah, yeah. I think we could pick apart more specific topics. Like, we could just talk about, I guess the first thing I think about is access. It's Mm -hmm. like how careful you got to be with that, just knowing you could be seen from several hundred yards away and how much I messed, like, just driving around all these spots i used to hunt just thinking about all the deer that i probably sent running the other way or just some you're out in the middle of the other field, way just like yeah here not, we go not to my stand yet so mm-hmm. 
I, I mean, I used to do the same thing. Yeah, and I, I think, I mean, most people do. I mean, I see, we see people do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you drive, you'd be driving down the road and be like, oh boy. We just saw people line. doing it turkey hunting <laughs> yeah. the other day. There were some turkeys out in the field. Yeah. Well, there were turkeys in the field, and then they started walking across the field towards yeah. where they were, and they weren't Just be thinking about what the animals can see from where you anticipate them to be bedded, for starters, I guess, and then think outside the box. Um Think about areas you can't see from the road where big bucks can isolate themselves. It's actually a good point, too. Like, even just from a feeding standpoint, something that I remember my dad always telling me when I was a kid and I started ultimately focusing on a lot was anywhere where I could hunt that you couldn't see from the road was pretty dang cool because, like, right here, we can see the other road over there, I think. Yep. Most places you can. They're one yeah. mile, mile by one mile blocks. Mm-hmm. And if you can see the other road, there's a lot of there's a lot of times you can see all of the field that the deer might be going into. But if you can find a place that has fence rows or is this like isolated field inside of timber, I think those places are just incredibly good. I mean, mm-hmm. they're kind of the places where you might actually find one going out in the open in daylight because if you can't see them from the road feels pretty comfortable you probably can't hear the road or anything like that so i think that was another thing that i had kind of listed for topics was just trying to find those places Mm -hmm. too and they might be right under your nose like you said because i'm looking at one right now because that turkey just that hen turkey just popped out and i can't even see her again because she keeps going behind the low spot that's right under our nose and you could easily overlook something like that because that spot behind Jake, I think you can see it in that camera. Mm-hmm. But that spot behind Jake is kind of obvious that it, it's a rise, but there's so many places in farm yeah. country fields that are just these little divots that you and, can't even tell. And where years where, you know, say both those fields are standing corn, I mean, you definitely can't see it until oh, yeah. November. There goes that bird along the back there. <laughs> oh, tarkies. Here we are talking about, we're forcing it, talking about deer right now, too, <laughs> everybody. We really just... No, I'm turkey. starting to get fired up back up about it. That's I'm fired up about it yeah. because I didn't get the turkey hunt that much. Uh-huh. But trust me, when I see that turkey, <laughs> I start thinking, man, I wish it was still turkey season. But I think that uh, if you guys have any questions, leave questions in the comments or anything that you would like us to dive into more detail about because I think this is something that we both enjoy talking about because yeah. we had so many experiences and, and Greg as well yep. a- and Aaron. I mean, really all of us hunted a lot of farm country as kids. Yeah, we all really sure. did grow up in And farm we also country. just did a bunch of short uh, tip videos for the deer school too, where we talked about, honestly, we talked about a lot of different things than what we talked about today. So that's good, I guess. Mm-hmm. So check out the deer school too. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching everybody and feel free to, Yeah, send your suggestions our way about farm country or any other topics you'd like to hear, and we'll catch you on the next one.